Leading today's news, we are watching the war. This war is the lion in the mental path of the people. It has put cricket in the shade, politics in the dark, and has well nigh eclipsed the turf. Nobody wants to take his attention off the war items, whether such items are true or trumped up. There is ample information through the English and Cape files that the cablegrams we so eagerly swallow daily are by no means reliable. The perilous position of the British was not conveyed by cablegram. It was only when Generals Buller and Methuen marked time for weeks that the real strength of the enemy became apparent. However, Lord Roberts is now in South Africa, and it should not be long before he solves the problem of the relief of Ladysmith and Kimberley. The war news will be watched with ever-increasing interest, and it is to be hoped with ever-decreasing anxiety. Another reason for keen attention is that Australian valour will shortly have every opportunity to be displayed. Coming from the Queanbeyan Observer in New South Wales for Tuesday, January 16, 1900, this was the news. This Was The News is a fortnightly podcast that takes the news from this date many years ago and shares it with you in one news update. Straight out of newspapers from across Australia, I'm Broderick Matthews, here now to share the news that was one more time. January 16, 1900, sees Australia not quite yet as a Commonwealth, but working together to help support England in the Boer War. This article on the war comes from the Bairnsdale Advertiser and Tambo and Omeo Chronicle in Victoria. Proposal to form a Yeomanry Corps. A movement is on foot, having for its object the establishment of a corps of Australian rough riders to serve with the Yeomanry Cavalry, now being organised in England by Lord Chesham. The enrolment of recruits in this district has been taken up by Mr William Hamilton of Ensay. In a communication to us upon the subject, Mr Hamilton states that it is intended, according to the instructions which he has received, to enrol a force of, say, 400 men, all of whom will be good riders, especially over rough country, used to hard living and handy with firearms. The force will be equipped and clothed and put on board ship at Melbourne free of charge to the British government. From the date of their embarkation, they will be paid by the latter at exactly the same rate as their British comrades in the yeomanry. Mr Hamilton says that he will be glad to supply full information on the subject to anyone who will communicate with him by letter. He has, he says, already received applications from men desirous of serving in the new corps and will be pleased to receive others. The corps, he concludes, should do credit to Gippsland, as its members will be the best riders over rough country and the best men for bushwork ever yet sent to South Africa. From the Gippsland Yeomanry to soldiers at Her Majesty's, this story from the Evening News in Sydney. Her Majesty's Theatre was packed yesterday when a special matinee of the pantomime Little Red Riding Hood was given for the entertainment of the second New South Wales contingent. The soldiers attended on the invitation of Mr J.C. Williamson and received a right royal reception all along the route from the barracks to the theatre. Upon their arrival at the latter place, they were greeted with ringing cheers by a huge crowd, which blocked the corner of Market and Pitt Streets. 
the performance was highly appreciated, and the military tableau and climax to Act 2 created a perfect furore of applause. During an interval, small parcels and packages of erasmic soap and scent were distributed among the soldiers and their friends by Mr R Guthrie of Wynyard Lane, sole agent for Australia. So while the soldiers in Sydney were soaping up in the theatre, those serving in Brisbane were worried about burning down. The story of the Maori King coming from the Ipswich Herald and General Advertiser, Queensland. Some excitement was created on Saturday when the information was made public that a fire had been discovered the previous night on the transport Maori King, now conveying the second Queensland contingent to South Africa. The circumstances pointed to a direct attempt to burn the vessel, a fire having started in the coal bunker. Directly above the spot where the coal had been burning, a drum of coal tar was found bedded in the coal in a tilted position, with one end on the deck and the other end on the lip of the bunker, in such a position that its contents could run down onto the coal beneath, and as though with devilish intent, a hole had been punched in the drum through which the tar could escape, whilst another hole had been punched in a similar manner on the upper side of the drum for an air vent, evidently to facilitate the flow of the tar. Another peculiar circumstance was discovered in the fact that the hatches over numbers one and two holds were off, although they had been placed on securely and covered by tarpaulins at six o'clock the same evening. The fire was discovered about half past eleven on Friday evening before any damage was done. The alarm was at once given to the South Brisbane Fire Brigade by means of the telephone at Messrs Geddes Dirt and Co's, and the men promptly answered the call. In the meantime, the services of a piece of hose to convey water to the boilers and buckets of water helped to subdue the flames, and there was little for the firemen to do upon arrival, though they stood by for some time afterwards. It subsequently appeared that the possibility of some such attempt came to the ears of the police department, and Acting Sergeant Toomey of the Criminal Investigation Branch and two constables had been keeping a strict watch on the vessel. When the fire was discovered, the officers remained on board all night and up to the time the vessel put out to sea. Nothing, however, transpired to cause any suspicion, and the guilty person remains unknown. It has been commented in connection with the matter that several suspected spies formed part of the crew. Now those rumours of Boer spies continued down the coast as the Maori King travelled into Sydney and this report from the evening news in Sydney itself. The Maori King incident in Brisbane has caused an extra sharp lookout to be kept in Sydney for Boer spies. The Colonial Secretary informed a representative of the Evening News yesterday that special instructions had been given to the police on this point and that the public need not feel any alarm as to the possibility of any untoward accident happening to the three transports which will convey the troops of New South Wales to the seat of war. It is understood that detectives have been told to specially watch the boats and that several recent suspicious additions to the population of Sydney, who are somewhat foreign in appearance, are being closely watched. In official quarters, there appears to be no doubt that one of these strange characters is a Boer spy and whether he will be allowed to leave these shores in peace and safety has become a matter of doubt. So while there might be paranoia around foreigners in Sydney, let's move to Horsham now, where there's the story of a rather unusual road trip in the Horsham Times, Victoria. 
A road trip between Warrnambool and Horsham has just been successfully accomplished by Mr John Trigg, farmer of Allensford. He wanted to see the land in this district with a view to purchasing a suitable farm for one of his sons, with whom the seaside heir does not agree. And in order to clear expenses, he brought along a wagon loaded up with cheese and bacon, about a tonne weight altogether. He left Allensford on the 8th and arrived here yesterday morning. He came by way of Mortlake, Ararat, Stall, Glenorchy, Lubeck and Murtoa. All along the road he disposed of his produce, finding his best customers among the hotel keepers, as the storekeepers were, of course, supplied by their own regular agents. On the whole, however, Mr Trigg did well and has every reason to be satisfied with the trip. His son and family should be moving to the region soon. The journey, it may also be added, was made with a pair of staunch horses for which Mr Trigg had an offer of £50 yesterday, although I presume he's not selling them until he gets home again. Let's take a short break from the news now for these advertisements. Notch this fact. Rheumatism is caused by blood impurities, which inflame the tissues and the ligaments of the joints. Wolf's Schnaps cures it by clearing the blood through the kidneys. The people unanimously pronounce in favour of Wolf's Schnaps for a delicacy of flavour and an absence of rawness or exciting properties. Try Wolf's Schnaps today. Keeps thousands awake, makes life a misery. You know what it is? Piles. Hard to bear, hard to get rid of. Nearly drive you crazy. All night they keep you awake, all day they make you miserable. Can't find relief. But, wait a minute. Yes, you can. Dolan's ointment will do it. All irritating skin diseases disappear under the healing, soothing influence of Dolan's ointment. It cannot be repeated too often that Doan's ointment will cure piles. It will cure absolutely. But do not take the manufacturer's word for this. Ask all right Mr Carey, the well-known storekeeper at number 75 Franklin Street, Launceston. He knows, for it cured his piles, and he lives here in Launceston. Is not that the best possible kind of proof? Could there be better? Doan's ointment is sold by all dealers at two and nine per box. Welcome back. Broderick Matthews here with the news of January 16, 1900. The Commonwealth Constitution might be designed to bring all these colonies together into one federated country, but uh, they probably need to stop infighting first if this story in the Argus Melbourne is anything to go by. It was stated by the Victorian Premier yesterday that Mr Deacon, MLA, who had been selected by the Victorian Government to proceed to London as a representative of Australia while the Commonwealth Constitution Bill was before the Imperial Parliament, would defer his departure till next week. That's Mr Deacon will defer his departure till next week. This step was taken in the hope that the other governments would in the meantime appoint representatives so that an Australian delegation, which would voice the opinion of all the federating colonies, might leave by the same steamer. 
It was the wish of the Victorian Cabinet that there should be joint action in the matter, and he hoped that it was not true, as reported, that Mr Lyon, Premier of New South Wales, had invited all the colonies, with the exception of Victoria, to a conference to discuss the subject. There was no reason, because Victoria had selected its delegate already, that it should be debarred from attending the conference, as there might be other matters of mutual interest to discuss, apart from the mere appointment of delegates. When the Victorian government received the cable message from the Secretary of State for the Colonies, it had not the least doubt but that Mr Chamberlain desired each colony to appoint a representative to visit London to confer with him, and therefore the Victorian Cabinet selected Mr Deacon. His selection was not made public for some days in deference to the wish of the other governments, but the Cabinet saw no valid reason for withholding the information from the public any longer. The Premier added that he would be happy to disclose all the communications which had passed between him and the other Premiers on the matter when he received their permission to do so, but in the meantime they were at the request of the other Premiers regarded as confidential. Well, there's a bit of infighting between the colonies now, but surely that will all disappear once the Commonwealth Bill passes and we become a federation, states working together. Off to regional news now, and this story from the Bunbury Herald in Western Australia highlighting a mammoth cucumber. Mr T. R. Delaport of the Vass Road on Sunday morning last cut a cucumber off the vine in his garden, which, when measured, was 19 inches long and weighed 4 pounds. The vegetable was grown from seed imported from England. Meanwhile, news from Childers reported in the Argus Victoria. Mr T.S. Dickinson of the Childers District had a very narrow escape from poisoning on Friday. Coming in from a trying day's travelling, he took a drink of egg preservative by mistake for hot beer. Had it not been that Dr Wells, who has lately taken a practice at Bendigo, been on the spot, Mr Dickinson would probably not have recovered. And finally, bathers beware this piece out of the evening news in Sydney. Persons who are in the habit of bathing, or allowing children to bathe, in the water near Burwood Wharf on the Parramatta River would need to exercise care. On Sunday, a fine retriever dog, which was swimming in shallow water, was seized and taken under by a shark, variously estimated by onlookers at from 12 to 15 feet in length. Looks like Jaws was after paws. Medical news now in this story of disease from the Horsham Times in Victoria. In a paper read by Dr Jamison, health officer to the City of Melbourne, before the Association for the Advancement of Science on Friday, Dr Jamison referred to the value of antitoxin as a remedy for diphtheria and said that children in a family in which the disease had occurred could, by inoculation, be guarded against the liability to attack during the exposure to infection. He said we were looking forward to the time, which could hardly be far distant, when other epidemic diseases, which were the scourge of humanity, would, by similar methods, be made as harmless as smallpox now was in countries where full and proper use was made of vaccination. Regarding typhoid, he said that there was good reason to believe that the prevalence of the disease in Adelaide and Sydney had been greatly reduced in the extension of drainage operations and consequent purification of the soil. He had endeavoured, but unsuccessfully, to establish a relation between the disease and meteorological conditions. 
tuberculosis he regarded as the great scourge of civilised life. The depressing belief that the disease was hereditary had disappeared, and it was clear that unhealthy surroundings and contagion constituted the real cause of its occurrence. The firm assurance had been attained to that tuberculosis in all forms was preventable and curable if taken early enough. Pure milk and perfectly sound meat would reduce the disease. Common as tuberculosis was, the hope was not unreasonable that at no very remote period it would be as rare in England as leprosy. Regarding the bubonic plague, he advocated cleanliness and sanitary improvements as the weapons with which it must be attacked. And those weapons are being utilised over in South Australia right now with this story on the plague from The Advertiser. A strict quarantine is being kept up at the hospital to prevent any chance of infection spreading to the outside public and it is hoped that no more cases of plague will develop in the institution. The boy McCann, one of the secondary sufferers to receive the plague, was removed to Torrens Island on Monday afternoon, the Mayor of Adelaide undertaking that the local Board of Health should pay all expenses. Dr Gerald Hayward and two nurses accompanied McCann to the quarantine station and will remain there until the expiry of 10 days after danger from infection has disappeared. If no fresh cases occur at the hospital, the embargo on the institution will be removed on January 25. Dr Rogers, a member of the hospital board, states that there is no justification for a scare on the subject as there is little chance of plague getting any hold on such a well-ordered, in a sanitary sense, community as South Australia. Although just precautionary over in Melbourne, this story of doctors being vaccinated in the Bensdale Advertiser and Tambo and Omeo Chronicle. On Monday night, in the view of the possibility of the bubonic plague reaching Victoria, two Melbourne physicians, doctors Gray and McLean, have had themselves vaccinated with anti-bubonic serum obtained from Sydney. Isn't that great that they can be vaccinated to stop these diseases happening? What an advance in medical science. It's time for a short break from the news, and when we come back, it's all things social and the weather. S. Corthray, surgical and mechanical dentist, Bailey Street, Coolgardie, just next to the Royal Hotel. Honorary surgeon dentist to the Coolgardie Hospital by special appointment. Extractions performed with laughing gas, ether, chloroform, cocaine or chloride of ethyl. Fillings, gold, cement, white alloy amalgam for decayed teeth. Artificial teeth on gold, silver, vulcanite, platinum or celluloid. Surgical work attended to night and day. Telephone 67, that's telephone 67. A bicycle for nothing is more than we're able to offer you, but if you want a really cheap machine for the Christmas holidays, you cannot do better than inspect our stock of second-hand cycles. We have all kinds of machines on hand, from highest grade to jiggers that we sell as low as £3. Cycles for hire for Christmas holidays. Call early, repairs at lowest rates. That's the Austral Cycle Agency, Proprietary Limited, Mallop Street, Geelong. Back to business now, Broderick Matthews here with all the news from January 16, 1900. 
Along to social news now in the Bunbury Herald in Western Australia, reports on the wedding of Jackson and Fowler. A pretty wedding took place at the Ferguson on Wednesday week last when William Jackson of Preston was united in the bonds of holy matrimony to Miss Grace Minna Fowler, the Reverend A. Buchanan officiating. The bride, who was given away by her father, looked charming in a cream cashmere dress trimmed with white satin, cream ribbon, white chiffon and orange blossom, hat and veil to match, and carrying a bouquet of white candy tuff and maidenhair fern tied with white ribbon. The two bridesmaids were Miss Amy Fowler, sister of the bride, and Miss Beestress Gardner, both of whom looked very nice dressed in pink with hat and veil to match. The bridegroom was accompanied by Mr James Fowler Sr. of Preston as best man and Mr Christopher Gardner as groomsman. After the ceremony, the newly wedded couple and guests drove to the residence of the bride's parents, where cake and wine were dispensed and the usual toasts honoured, the health of the bride and bridegroom being proposed by Mr George Fowler. The presents were as follows. Parents of the bride, the trousseau and house linen. Mr. James Fowler, best man, gave a beautiful gold brooch. Mrs. Russell and Miss Fowler, handsome photo frames. Mr. and Mrs. Lowry gave a pair of jelly dishes. Miss Lucy Gardner gave a glass sugar basin. Miss Beatrice Gardner, a glass butter dish. And Mrs. Owen Gardner, a pair of salt cellars. Mr. and Mrs. Darby gave a china egg cruet, while Mr. and Mrs. H. Gardner, a biscuit barrel. Miss Minna Gardner gave a handkerchief box and Mr W Moore gave the lucky couple a Bible. Finally, the weather for this, the 16th of January 1900. And reporting in the Argus in Melbourne, the Government Astronomers Forecast. Monday 6pm, sultry and unsettled weather expected with variable winds. Very hot inland, probably some thunderstorms, smooth sea. Meanwhile, the advertiser in Adelaide, South Australia, reports that a change is coming. The weather this morning is intensely sultry and muggy, but citizens will be pleased to hear that a cool change is coming along. The temperature has risen rapidly since Saturday, said the assistant meteorologist on Monday morning, the thermometer registering 114 degrees at Eucla, 101 at Streaky Bay and Port Augusta, 100 at Farina and 98 in Adelaide. The forecast for the next 24 hours is cloudy, very hot, sultry, unpleasant and unsettled in parts, while thundery conditions will also prevail. This will be followed by a cool westerly change within the next 48 hours. Finally, from the Western Champion and General Advertiser for the Central Western Districts in Barcaldon, Queensland. The weather. It is now possible to take a less pessimistic view of things in general. For from well nigh all over the central district comes the news that rain has fallen. True, in places there has not been a great deal, but the indications are favourable for more. What has fallen will do incalculable good. In several places the rain has been heavy. Notably was this the case at Dunraven, where in one or two paddocks there were four inches. Last week at Barcaldon Downs there was well on to three inches in places. The young trees have started to come on with great rapidity. The big ones have taken a new lease of life and the couch grass is growing well. The goats have now a chance to get a feed without much trouble. And with that we come to the end of the news that we have. For January 16, 1900, this was the news.
This Was The News is a podcast spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from newsopen.org. This Was The News can be followed on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. Please make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to good podcasts and please rate and review the show so others can see it too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The next episode will be out in a fortnight, released on Thursday 30th January. I'm Broderick Matthews and this was The News. The News.